We are here at the Edinburgh Fringe. We are. And we're a few days in. We've had a couple of great shows to begin with. We're a year about summer and one woman alien. And we've already got to see quite a few lovely shows as well. Yeah, we have. And our cast are going around watching lots of shows too. You can catch Heather in imaginary porno charades. <laughs> Some people are scared of a show that's called Imaginary Porno Charades, but actually it's a bit of silly fun, and it's just, you know, as you might guess, it's um, film titles uh, that have been deliberately rewritten to sound a bit a bit rude. A bit naughty-fied. Naughty-fied, yes. So um, th- we've got a couple of uh, snippets of um, people ch- chatting to us for the podcast. Uh, you know that because you're listening to the podcast. We um, have gone out to Edinburgh to find the best and the loveliest and the brightest people. And uh, upcoming is a, a collection of the people that we're chatting to about their shows at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. We are here at the Sweet Grass Market at the uh, Apex Hotel uh, for what's day one of the Edinburgh Fringe, uh, which is probably why we're feeling fairly coherent and fresh-faced and alert. Um, and um, I'll let you guys introduce yourself. Who, who, who am I talking to? We're talking to uh, Rachel Head and Izzy Knowles. And uh, tell me about the, uh, at least to begin with the name of the show that you are, um, t- we're talking about today. We are talking about Model Behaviour, um, a show which Izzy is, has written and is starring in, um, and I am directing and producing. So we're multi-rolling all round. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just because we just hopped right on board with it. Yeah, and I think it actually works better having a smaller team for one woman. I don't know how they do it when there's so many people and just one person on stage. A lot of pressure. Was there ever a point um, as both the writer and the performer that you felt that you might not actually need a director, that it could be because obviously the images are in your head, the story is in your head, and any good director is probably going to tell you something that about your work that you didn't intend? Yeah, definitely. I think at the beginning... I was planning on just kind of doing it all on my own and then realised how completely un- like impossible that is. Yeah. And then it's interesting because I brought Rachel on as a producer and had no idea what a talented director she was. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think what's really interesting is when someone takes something that you've had in your head for like a year and you've been looking at constantly for eight months and finds humour in it that you didn't know existed. Yeah. That's been the most interesting thing, I think, the rehearsal process and seeing someone unpack your words and make them something else. Like, without Rachel, it would be a completely different show. Which is interesting in terms of, from what I've read about model behaviour, to a certain extent as a a model who is, judging by your own blurb, getting older day Mm. by day, and your voice not necessarily being listened to, that seems an interesting point to make, that your voice is being amplified by somebody else's voice. Yeah. And so, uh, how quick were we to sort of um, get that working relationship? Did you know each other before? Yes. Um, So I had hired Izzy um, as an actress in a show I'd done a few years ago. um, A Philip Ridley piece called Radiant Vermin, um, which is a multi-character piece. I mean, it was a, a really, really intense piece of work where, you know, at one point Izzy was being six different people having a conversation pretty much with herself Um, so I knew that she was an incredible actress already and we stayed friends afterwards Um, and I was surprised when she said that she'd written something but I did know that Izzy used to model and um, 
had complicated feelings towards that experience now. Um, and when I read it, I just was shocked. Like, I know that, you know, Izzy is, is you know, talented and incredibly um, talented as an actress, but reading it was one of those things where I just was, I was really ready for it to carry on. Yeah. Like, the, the gag rate was really high, the story was engaging, and there were really good emotional punches there. Yeah. Um, and I think we, it was something where I immediately saw all the potential in it. Yeah. And um, really wanted to get started. And then we met up, and I don't think, I didn't want to say, I'll produce this. Yeah. And I don't think Izzy wanted to say, will you please produce this? <laughs> so we were having a conversation for like an hour, like, yeah. hey, yeah. dancing around the circle. Yeah, yeah. lightly. <laughs> um, Rachel, talk, talk about, spoke about that sense of being somewhat surprised, uh, which is a word I think you use with a bit of caution. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And, but that, that's worth discussing because uh, uh, we can talk about the rather cliched question of if there's a person, male or female, who makes their business in being photographed in their image, mm. the fact that uh, they might have a piece of work that the gag rate is really high might somewhat surprise people. And that must be frustrating and um, annoying. Yeah, there's definitely a cliche when it comes to models that I meet in everyday life kind of constantly. I get a lot, a lot, one thing that I'm told constantly is, oh, I didn't expect you to be so nice, which is always yeah. surprising. But I think, unfortunately, stereotypes do exist for a reason. And models, I mean, as this play kind of discusses, they, I mean, even though they're getting paid for the way they look, which is a really easy way of making your living, it's a tough life yeah. and you are faced with constant negativity and there's a reason I think that you know models sometimes aren't that nice like yeah. they've had a pretty tough time of it and then also I think I spent a lot of time just staring at a white wall when I was modeling yeah. and I think I did lose a few brain cells doing yeah. that for several years like there's there's a reason or your internal monologue started right in place <laughs> yeah exactly it's just all pent up because I've modeled for about five years and towards the end of it when I'd done a year full-time I was just coming home saying like I just I just don't have anything to say because yeah. my life's really boring now. <laughs> and although models themselves and actors um, are saying more, there seems to be, although we've been saying this for a while, a sense of change. There are now certainly actors who are now refusing to have their photographs retouched and whatever. Mm. And so any curve or um, fold is proudly demonstrated. Um, that hasn't yet necessarily had an impact on the modeling world. Do you think it might do? No, honestly, I think unless you are a supermodel and you're a model that's allowed a personality, yeah. they do just want you to be just one of many. Yeah. I don't think it's ever gonna, unfortunately, I just don't think it's ever gonna reach the modeling industry. The same thing, I think they'll always want skinny girls. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish it would change, but I, I really can't see it changing. Am I right in thinking, is this right, that Vogue, which is now 2,000, 3,000 issued in, this month or next month is their first model of colour on the yes, cover. Yes, on the cover. And again, it's Rihanna, isn't it? It's Rihanna, and again, that leads back to your point about if you're of a certain stature, then yeah. you're going to get that cover. If you're allowed um, a personality. Yeah. yeah. Um, Can I, if I may? I do think that like sometimes a lot of the models that we hear about are these models that have been allowed to have a voice because they're famous in some yeah. capacity. But you don't ever really hear about this sort of like parade of, of young girls that are trying to get to this point and just find themselves like 
They don't want them to be individuals. They don't want them to have personalities. They just want you to come and stand and sit in a room with 20 girls that look exactly like you, maybe have your picture shaken and then go. Yeah. And, um, and I think like what Izzy's tried to do with this and what we've done together is like give a voice to that girl. Yeah. And it is funny because lots of the things that come along with, with life are funny, but it is also kind of heartbreaking yeah. to just be another person in a long line and realize that like, what if you're not the one that makes it? Yeah, and it, and it makes a cold logical sense in that if the product is an item of clothing or a pair of sunglasses, then one could argue that there's not much value in there being a whole variety of faces behind those sunglasses because the product is the key. Yeah. Um, do you think that in the stage, uh, in the age of Instagram, whatever that there is, you're saying that in the modeling business as a whole, mm. we're probably waiting a very long time for a change. Yeah. But in terms of, because Instagram uh, is a world in which one individual can have lots of followers, can be lots of influencers, mm. is there an opportunity for uh, one to be able to have much more variety in shapes and sizes and colour on social media? Yes, that's true. I do think that other brands are starting to branch out a bit more, but I think the powerhouses in the fashion industry kind of always be the same. I remember when Adele was on the cover of Vogue and everyone was really excited and then the headshot they used, you know, you could you could barely see. <laughs> like yeah. you couldn't see that she was a plus size woman. Yeah. You couldn't see that she was bigger than the average person they had on the cover. So I think in terms of Instagram, it's definitely getting a bit more diverse, but unfortunately, I, I'm not sure if the powerhouses will ever change. And it is somewhat depressing, isn't it, that if we are excited about an individual, um, that's depressing because the mm. reason we're, in, we're excited about them is because they're plus size. And they're different, they're, and they bring something yeah. different. Um, you speak, there's two lines in your promo that struck me in terms of, I think the word is a model who is getting on or getting older. Yeah. in the same, almost the same paragraph as young woman. Mm. And that contradiction in terms is something that is probably spoken daily in the model industry. Um, is that something that you, you've spoken about modeling in the, in the past tense? So that you are especially mm. no longer a model. Yeah. Um, is, that, is, that, is that right, you know, because you are still young, a young woman? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, if you want to get to editorial, like, the, like if you would like to be a supermodel, you are probably over the hill at about 20. Um, you, start, you can start walking the catwalk at 16, and that's kind of the ideal time to peak. And if you don't peak then, then you are kind of just put on this, like, put back a bit. Like, I moved agencies at about 19, and as soon as I arrived, there was kind of an understanding that I was past it, and I'd kind of be scraping the barrel for work, which yeah. always, yeah, always surprises people to hear that. And there's... To use sort of the patriarchy line, is that also indicative of there being an undue amount of power in the people who are paying those packets? Because um, the the average 16, 17, 18 year old is not going to necessarily have that amount of um, intelligence and sensitivity about how their lives should be managed. So clearly that management is going to be given over to somebody else. Yeah, I mean it could be just because I guess you're a lot more moldable yeah. at that age. But also I think it's just this kind of obsession with, which is when it becomes, I think the lines get blurred, this obsession with the young girl. If you think yeah. about Kate Moss and the obsession adverts, Calvin Klein, yeah. Brooke Shields, modelling yeah. for, um, I think 
I'm not sure the jeans advert they were all under the age Guess. of 16 Guess something like that yeah I think she was 14 at that point so there is kind of this underlying tone constantly throughout the decades of kind of a sexualization yeah. of, of, of young women yeah. and prepubescent girls and what in terms of we, we spoke about it briefly as a, as a bit of a prelude but what is model behaviour about for you? Um, for me I think model behaviour is essentially a model getting to have her say. You do get the sense that most models are disposable in the eyes of the industry. I tried to speak out when you know I was on jobs and I felt like my working rights being violated yeah. when things happened on shoots that were just not okay. And I never really felt listened to. For me, it was kind of a chance to call out this industry, but also it kind of wrote itself, so I think it was boiling for a long time. Yeah. And I think it's nice, actually... Like, it's, it's personal, it's not autobiographical, but it's still nice, I think, to walk away. It took away a, a lot from me, and to have something now that I can say that I did and bring into my actual passion, yeah. I don't feel like I wasted those years of my life. Yeah. I think if I hadn't written the play, I'd look back on those five years and be a bit like, you know, I don't know how much they helped me grow as a person, but now I feel like I've, I've turned this experience into something that's funny and enjoyable, yeah. and kind of a little bit educational for people who don't know anything about the industry. And it's interesting because obviously, like, it's not autobiographical, but it is based on a sort of garbled version of Izzy's experiences. But it's not, you know, now Izzy wants to have her say, and she's got the strength and, and power because she is able to write and talk. Yeah. But the model in the play isn't somebody that comes in and, and denounces the industry and says, wait, this is wrong, why is this happening to me, and what's happening here? It's someone that doesn't understand, thinks that she still desperately wants to be a model, at least at first, and, and then sort of has this gradual movement into, why do I have to live with this? Yeah. Like, why do I have to enjoy this? Why is everybody telling me that this is the best thing for me? And, um, and I think it's that uncertainty that sort of really reflects, like, is, is very true to life of that age and, and those women. Yeah. Um, whereas, obviously, like, Izzy now is much more empowered, really. Yeah, she's got a big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> there is something very dramatically interesting about a subject, a character who is the centre of gravity, the centre of attention, the centre of focus, and having been pulled towards them, but not having any of that power associated with that. And so they're moving through their own universe, but being profited by everything else. That's exactly it. And it's, that, it's the model, I mean, it's a one woman, so it's, it's this model that drives the entire narrative. But it's kind of like she doesn't know where she wants it to go. Yeah. So we're listening to her talk about her experiences here, and then this sort of happened to her, and then, oh, last week this happened. And we're, we're sort of, we're, we're buffeted about in, in this woman's life. Yeah as she tries to come to terms with what it is that she wants out of it all, yeah. you know? And, um, and I think there is something really heartbreaking about the fact that she just doesn't know. Yeah. And so uh, I'd like to um, close by sort of asking the obvious question of uh, where can we find you, at what times? We are, <laughs> um, we are at the main space at Jury's Inn, um, which is quite close to Waverley train station, um, at 8.20. We preview today and tomorrow. We've got Sunday off, and then from Monday the 6th to Saturday the 11th, 8.20 p.m. Main space of Jury's in. Fantastic, excellent. And uh, I'd like to close by asking, are there any other shows uh, that you have caught your eye on the posters or the Royal Mile? 
Yes, there is one actually. Um, Love songs, um, yes. which I've seen. I've I've spoken to her a little bit about um, potentially coming to see because yeah. I also um, have an affiliation with Broadway Baby, yeah. and um, and I was really interested in, in seeing what she's done with that. And I know that she's worked with the Soho a little bit on that and it just looked, it's a sort of spoken word piece isn't it, but it, it looked really interesting and so I'd be really interested in going to see that. Excellent. Uh, so this is model behaviour, yep. um, essentially every night at 8.20 at the uh, Jury's Inn until the 11th. Yeah. Uh, Rachel and Izzy, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you so much. We are back at the Sweet Grass Market at the Apex Hotel in, appropriately enough, Grass Market, Edinburgh. Um, and uh, this is how alert and salient we are now on our fourth day of the Fringe. And we're talking to Tim and James. Hello. 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 Hey, this is not your first Fringe. No. I think it's like our seventh. My ninth. Whoa. What was your first Fringe like? Um, I was doing a double act. Uh, we were on at 10.30 at night and we were at sea venues. The happiness in your face on <laughs> all of those points. Yeah, so basically we would wake up maybe midday, spend 10 hours flying in the mile to try and convince people to come see our show. Yeah. Then we'd do our show and then we'd collapse. Yeah. So it was basically, and then because we were like half an hour walk, like maybe 45 minute walk in, in Leith. Oh, yes. The best part of that fringe was that we discovered on the walk home a 24 hour bakery. Ah, oh, Who I yes. think only got business because they were the only place open on that road at 3 a.m. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. That's a happy memory. Just the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was your first um, fringe like? So my first two years at the fringe were okay because I kind of went and just did slots. Yeah. Um, so we'd go in. Casino? Yeah, the one played Casino. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought, if I'm going to go to Edinburgh and lose money, <laughs> I don't want to actually learn a show. Um, but I just go in and like go and see some shows and then do like three 10 minute sets yeah. and fumble around and not worry about flyering or getting an audience or anything like that. But then in the third year, I put on a musical and lost five and a half grand. Yay. So I, it's all fine. <laughs> um, yeah. What was your favourite song out of that musical? Uh, my favourite song, I can't remember it now, was, um, but it was really good. It was a, a breakdown about um, uh, how condoms stopped uh, gonorrhea in the 1700s. I see. Um, so you made money or lost money? It lost so much lost money. So much I mean, money. Obvious, did you not just hear what you said? I, I, I did, I did. Um, <laughs> and what um, brings you to the fringe this year? Um, contractual obligation. Yeah. yeah is the main thing. No, um, me and Tim um, have a deep self-loathing for ourselves yeah. and the best way we can manifest that is by trying to perform and entertain to children yeah. who've been dragged along against their will by yeah. their parents to see this show. I was, I was adamant last Fringe that I was going to take this year off and at the end of the Fringe, um, uh, JD, who is both our producer and also the head of Sweet Venues, yeah. uh, essentially commissioned a Christmas special and a sequel to the show that we did last year, um, which meant that we had to come back, li yeah. literally contractual obligation, <laughs> had to come and do a new Dr. Jones. Which we, we, we now think in the last, there'll be a 12 month period starting from last October where we will have written four shows in that 12 month period, yeah. like yeah. Dr. James shows. Four Dr. James shows. So tell Ridiculous. me, what, uh, what, uh, for those of us who don't know about it, what a Dr. James show sounds and acts like? 
Well, there's a lot of people who listen outside the door during our show and hear a mixture of screaming children and crying me and Tim's. Yeah. Um, that's um, basically it. Yeah, so the show, the show is about a... Um, Incompetent supervillain. Yeah. Man-child. Um, who... The idea behind it is we get the help of naughty children to help James take over the world. And it's largely about... Um, getting kids and their parents to do audience participation that is a little bit ridiculous, a little yeah. bit embarrassing, but ultimately it's about bringing children and parents closer together. Of course, and oh. there's obviously the subtext about depression as well. Obviously, yeah. Um, and you've got another show, a new show coming up. Yeah. Yes, this is probably the most um, ambitious? ambitious show we've ever tried to do. And it started, we basically got together to rehearse for our kids show this yeah. year. And as is tradition, I know a lot of children's performers probably can relate to this, we had a lot of beer. Yeah. Um, got quite drunk. Instead of actually rehearsing... Fun we, grape juice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we actually wrote a completely different show. Yeah. Um, not only that, we decided to call JD up and tell him we'd written this show and forced him to put it on uh, against his will. And then we forgot about it the next day until we checked our messages and saw that we had two dates now in the Edinburgh Fringe Good. in the guide where we had to write this musical. Um, so the whole idea behind it is we're, we're mashing up two things that people love and one thing that people won't really know. Um, and so the idea is to mash up Dr. James. Yes, the thing um, that people don't know. Yeah. yeah. With uh, Dr. James's favourite film, a film about getting into fights and hanging out with your mates. Two things that he's not very experienced with. Fight Club and <laughs> Timian's favourite film. Beauty and the Beast about a beautiful maiden locked up with a horrible domineering boss outside of her own control. Subtext. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we thought, finally. Yeah. So um, we have put together um, Beast Club, which is the idea being it's a mashup of Disney's Beauty and the Beast and uh, Fight Club. Fight Club. Um, very specifically because we haven't read the book, the movie Fight Club. It's yes. David Fincher's Fight Club. Yes. And very, um, very specifically, the 1991 Disney cartoon Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Not the one with Hermione Granger. No. No. No, all the 1950s one. No, no what, the 1950s what, one. to mash that up then, what is oh. the first rule about Beauty and the Beast? Uh, the first rule of Beast Club is you do not talk about Beast Club. Yeah. And the second rule, which we're breaking so badly. Yeah. The second rule of Beast Club is if you haven't found love by your 21st year, you will remain a beast forever. I see. Yes. Um, just Impressive. to clarify yeah. to everyone, it's Tim's 33rd birthday tomorrow. Um, yes, so I will remain a beast forever. Yeah. But if we are staying close to the 90s Disney cartoon, yeah. that means that if you don't turn human, at least you say hot. That's true. Because the human version of the Beast was, was weirdly not. I mean, I would argue that Prince Adam, because that is his name, is the worst Disney prince. He is very, very boring and not as attractive as something that is part buffalo, part lion. I, I prefer the other Prince Adam. Oh, Britannia. Oh, yeah. He Man. I prefer oh, He Man, yes, yes. Do you think they're the same person? What? Oh, oh. Prince Adam from Beauty and the Beast and Prince Adam, who is He Man. But is that the, what, what the hell is She Ra doing all this time? That's um, Belle. Oh, I see, oh. yes. Like it's like a bizarro world yeah. <laughs> version of it. Oh, yes. Interesting. So that means you've got uh, Hermione Granger with this massive sword. Yeah. That works here. Yep. And um, you, you, we're day, we're day four into the fringe now. Yeah. Uh, has it already destroyed you? Yeah, a little bit, I think. Um, physically, no. I've not yeah. really been drinking this fringe. Emotionally, yeah. I, um, I'm dead, <laughs> like just drained. 
not because of the show's it's part per se. Yeah. yeah, it's just mental health in yeah. general. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing people should talk about more, especially during fringe time when yeah. things get um, very, very hard on, on performers and audience, yeah. or, particularly it's audience in our show. It's a stressful time. Yeah. Um, I um, I think I'm doing okay on the mental side of things, yes. but I am feeling quite drained already. Um, but I'm I'm trying very hard to get around that with bubble baths and crumpets. I, I think if me and Tim were joined together, we'd make one whole human. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if, yeah. With his mental state and my and, young body. And one horrible husk. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> it's like the film Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're, you're right. Um, uh, performers, um, we don't get to talk about mental health at the fringe often enough. And uh, we tend to be a bit um, secretive and um, shy about it. What would be your sort of options or tips for looking after what you, you've talked about, bubble bath and puppets? Mm. Like that, that to me, like it feels like it's a, a real, it, a little bit of a glib answer. But I think one of the things that I find difficult, I'm sure James has got his own things, but one of the things that I find really difficult is this constant feeling at the fringe that everything's great or everything has to be great. Yeah. And so that even if you're having a difficult time, whenever you see people, and I have this even with people that are my friends outside of the fringe, yeah. who I know really well, you bump into them in the street and, they'll, and the conversation is, oh, how, how's the show going? Oh, it's going really great. How's your show going? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's going really great. Cool, bye. And you go away and, and, and you have this constant thing where you're like, that outward side of you has to be this, like everything's great, everything's great all the time. I think what's quite important is to take time for you and I think yeah. take time to be outside of the bubble of the fringe and so kind of when I sort of say like, oh yeah just bubble up and crumpet like that translates as like just go and do something for an hour sure. that isn't stressing about the show or stressing about flyering James yeah, um, yeah I mean I I, I, I agree in, in many ways that the thing that I'm doing this fringe is which I should have done last year is com- I've deleted my Facebook app on my phone yeah because you go around Facebook and it's just people going oh I can never sell out performance yeah look here's a selfie with me and the millions of people have come to see my show yeah. and it's probably like you just I think Facebook deliberately picks all the good ones yeah and <laughs> just just to annoy me and, and leave out the blonde people who people just don't go oh another two people in my crowd yeah. today. people don't Check do out that this selfie of me and a bored old woman me and Keith <laughs> yeah Keith the bored old woman um, and I think uh, that, that's, that's really that's the really name helps. of a good show isn't it Keith the bored old woman yeah <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, also I mean I think um, as Tim said there was an element of putting on this mask with yeah. fringe because you want it's you think it's, a, it's like our kind of yearly um, kind of uh, pilgrimage and we want to be happy yeah. and have fun and I think you, you want to do that with your friends not even in shows just but like go oh yeah we're fun we're happy we only yeah. see each other once a year and I think just sometimes being honest and go you know I, I feel a bit rubbish yeah guys stop picking on me yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's just me no I think that's really um, strong <laughs> I mean people will be here for 20 years for all the first year there's that fear of missing out there's that fear of um, getting it all right and it is, it is far too overwhelming. You know, if, if the fringe was here for the entire year, we still wouldn't get to see everything. Yeah. yeah. I think you go through stages with, like, in the years you come. The first one, it's very much about the show, and you yeah. want to do that. And then you go through a stage of going, oh, I want to see lots of shows. Yeah. And you go, oh, actually, it's quite a good party scene. I want to do all these late night things. Yeah. And then you just go, look, I just want to go there, and I want to come out of it a whole. Yeah, yeah. Like, my thing this year is, I, I, I want it to be as much like my normal life yeah. <laughs> where I'm also coincidentally doing a show and I'm just trying to like I'm just trying to 
remember how so weird. it's been less than a week and I've already sort of forgotten how real life works. Yeah. Like you're going, like, well, what, what do I normally do at seven o'clock? Oh yeah, I'd go home and have dinner. Let's do that. And, yeah. and, that, and that kind of thing rather than sort of living in this weird limbo of um, hotel lobbies and um, underground mine. bunkers. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, any, have you had a year off? from the fringe in the past uh, no, seven no, years no. and it is that odd thing isn't it of um, if you ever outside Edinburgh in August how magnificently the rest of the world does not care yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, when I came last year when I got back from Edinburgh um, I went into a, uh, I, I had a job back then that was fun <laughs> um, I went into like a massive team leader meeting like and they, and they just dragged everyone in and I was yeah. like I've just got back I don't know what this is about um, I, I got, literally got back at 10 11 o'clock last night yeah and I, they took me in at like first thing in the morning and, I, and everyone was sat around and discussed in great detail everyone's project management skills and I fell asleep in the middle of the meeting <laughs> and everyone saw <laughs> and that my, my that way you don't have a job that's that I don't have a job anymore. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but bring, bringing it back to uh, B-Skills yeah talk, talk uh, about it back to B- like one one of the, the plans with it, so the, the idea with doing Beast Club as a silly ad hoc, we kind of met, wrote it while we were, yeah. we, we pitched it whilst we were drunk, we very much wrote it while we were sober and it, <laughs> well, speak for yourself. Okay, I'd say it contains some of our best writing, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but the idea behind it is we're doing it for two days as a, very, as a silly pay what you want to hand up, yeah. but my plan for next year is I want to write it as a proper musical. I yeah. think it's got genuine potential. Um, James Hello. Will, will be the beast yeah. um, playing to his natural skills. Um, <laughs> what, kidnapping women? Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to say having a heart of gold under your hideous Noel Duck Okay, yeah, that, that's better. <laughs> that Let's better. Can, can we cut out the yeah, yeah, kidnapping yeah. women bit? But, um, but, but the idea being like to, to write it as a proper show with a proper cast um, and I don't think realistically I can afford to take that to Edinburgh no. because it will suddenly not be like James and I fending for ourselves. Um, It'll be us looking after a group of people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot like you've got this year, yeah. like looking after a group of people. And I'm like, it's terrifying. What if you break them? Yeah, exactly. Whereas I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of little London fringes, and I might just, yes, just do a bunch of little London fringes, and then maybe come up with James and do a week of Doctor James. And see what that's like. I haven't talked to James about this, but um, thanks. Uh, no other way you could have let me know this before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this is why we do podcasts for yeah. mine and Tim's admin, future admin. <laughs> admin. But, but you know, that's that's a once a year thing, it's really not productive, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I think I'm going to be up next year doing a full show. Okay, fair enough. So, but not Dr. James. No. Yeah. I want to do an a online, a onstage video game, like a role playing game where I play all the NPC characters and then I get someone from the audience to be um, like the titular character. Be like a stage version of Tron. Yeah, or like a stage version of Final Fantasy VII. My, my cultural references are 30 years out of date. <laughs> I mean, so are his. Yeah. <laughs> well, Final Fantasy VII is being remade with modern graphics, I'll have you know. Um, so it seems that despite your best intentions, neither of you are going to be able no, to take a year off from it's just, I, I think it's my, just my problem is... I get ideas in my head and I yeah. want to do them. Like, like, I'm like, yes, that sounds great fun. Yeah. And if I don't have the fringe, fringe is my deadline basically to yeah. finish writing a show. 
and, and it's often it's the day before. Yeah. Here's a question that can't be answered because you, you have ideas. Oh, that will work. And I've done the fringe five years now. And I, I know what people are. And obviously, we can sense the moves changing and what flyers catch our eye and mm. stuff. But so here's the question that can't be answered. What's the secret then? What's the what's the show that will click? What's the thing that will drag an audience in? What will work? The secret, I think, is I disagree. Um, having a really clear hook. Actually, yeah. I, no, I do agree. That's exactly what I was going to um, say. And I and I think. I mean, I was about. I'm about to say, and I do think that there are loads and loads of acts that will be successful, um, probably like moderately successful, but more successful than us, with the hook of award-winning student a cappella. Um, which there are certain people who've got a reputation, yeah. and that's great. But the ones that are breakout stars, you're yeah. right. Like they, they, you know, there's. They're either going to have a hook that might not be immediately clear from the name of the show or the flyer, but word of mouth goes, have you seen this? It's amazing. Yeah. Or you've got something like last year's Elvis Dead. Yes. Or, um, um, this year I saw a great show titled I Let a Six-Year-Old Write My Show, yeah. which was hilarious, as hilarious as you think. Yeah. Um, and that, that kind of thing, I think, if you're not an established name, you have to have something that fully explains what your show is about in either the title, the, either the title or yeah. the flyer is perfect because then you, people will see the poster and go, oh, there we go. I, I get that. That's yeah. exactly what I, I was just going, oh, I need a show because I couldn't get to see Flo and Joe. Yeah. And I saw, I let a six-year-old write my show. I thought, that looks really yeah. funny. I'm going to go watch that. And I think the, the problem a lot of people face is there is 75,000 straight middle-class white <laughs> stand-up comedians yeah. And there's 75,000 student theatre groups putting on a play that you've either never heard of or has been done so many times yeah. before, you're not that interested in seeing it in a fringe environment. Whereas what, what people want is a thing that they can't get anywhere else. Totally, yeah. I, think, I think that's if what it is. If you go and walk down one of those streets that have all those massive posters along the wall, almost all the posters are identical mm. like it is a man or a woman stood there do, doing something like silly or yeah. just stood there in some cases with a title and that's yeah. they're only getting by because they're quite well known yeah, yeah. And, and and there's and there's, there's a lot you know there's a lot to go like oh well cool this is going to be an opportunity to see Catherine Ryan yeah. outside of live at the Apollo yeah um, there's a lot in that, but there's also a lot of stuff which is either not fringe, yeah. like it's a massive theatre production coming in and yeah. taking over the Pleasance Grand, yeah. and it's not fringe. Um, or there's a load of stuff which just gets lost. You know, I'm, I was looking in the in the fringe guide and I can't remember exactly what the, the play was, but there were four student productions yeah. of the same play. Antigone. Same every year. There's <laughs> always a lot of Antigone on. That's um, what the um, people in Victorian outfits are lying down on yeah, the mile. I, 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 <laughs> I mean, if you see uh, students on the mile, I would say there's a 60% chance it's Antigone. Yeah. And that, So that's it. And, you know, all, all the stuff that I went away raving about last year was stuff that I don't think I would have seen anywhere else and I don't think would have necessarily worked succeeded outside yeah. yeah um and that's that's I think most people 
most people that are coming to do the fringe because it's the fringe are not coming to do the fringe because they want to catch like a few big names. Yeah. Um, want to feel like they've discovered something. Yeah, totally. And I think the problem is, is the fringe is so, so, so big that you're, unless you can say, this is what my show is and this is what makes it different from everything else in less time than it takes you to say this is what my show is and this is what makes, this is what makes yeah. it different from everything else people are just going to be like okay cool right and that was the other thing yeah. like or you know you've got the most amazing flyer in the world but I'm not entirely sure how that works no. yeah me neither that's a much more difficult thing that we've not we've not managed it yeah. yeah so if we can't see your flyer because we're on a podcast yeah. uh, give us your last pitches for your last, for your shows excellent so we've got two shows we have dr james's bad schemes in which dr james tries to get up the charts of evil people and be taken seriously as a super villain and that is on 120 every day apart from wednesdays at sweet venues grass market and beast club as we've said has the best elevator pitch it's beauty and the beast meets fight club um, how, if you want to understand how that works please come see it if you've not seen Fight Club we will ruin the end of that film for <laughs> yeah. you and that is the 13th and 14th of August at 9.30 9.30 half past 9 and that is a 9.30 that is a free show a pay what you want show unless you want to um, reserve a ticket which you know it almost certainly will sell out despite not being in the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Tim and James have a fantastic grin. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cast Iron Theatre podcast from Edinburgh Fringe. It has been magnificent. We've been uh, able to catch quite a few uh, things, although there's always that fear of missing out, isn't there? There is. But we are managing to sort of um, keep if not on top of it, then snuggled like a slightly suffocating continental quilt. Keep tuning in to us at the Cast Iron Theatre podcast throughout the month as we'll be chatting to lots more companies, actors, directors, writers, and whoever we can get hold of throughout the month. Jugglers. Always the jugglers. We, we never speak to jugglers. Never, never. We'd uh, love a juggler. Is there, a juggler, is there somebody doing a, a one-person juggler show? No, no, an eighteen-person juggler show with one ball. That would be that would be. I'd, I'd, I'd watch that. That's just throwing and catching, isn't it? I think I saw that in the park. That wasn't the show. That was a dog. That, that, that was a dog and a person. Catch soon. Bye. <laughs>